Hello everyone, welcome to the place that gives you the most up-to-date and on-demand B2B sales content to ensure that you crush your quota. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. Welcome to 100% to Quota. Today, I'm super excited to welcome one of my favorites in sales and great friend, Ryan Bash. Ryan Bash was my former colleague at Zenefits, and we went through a lot of great stories together. But I think that most importantly, Ryan has a wealth of knowledge with sales leadership, crushing his quota on a regular basis. And I can't be more excited to have him here today with us out 100% to Quota. So Ryan, welcome aboard. How are you doing today, man? Javi, great to see you, man. Appreciate the kind words. Doing well. Happy it's Friday and excited to chat with you. Let's go, man. Uh, <laughs> always appreciate your energy. So today's conversation is going to be uh, stoked with a lot of energy and a lot of great insights. But before we get into that, Ryan, I'd, I'd love for you to share with, with the audience about your sales journey. So do you mind walking us through how you started in sales and where you are today? Yeah, definitely. And I think I had a little bit of a non-traditional sales journey, to be honest. I started my career at Oracle, working for the big boss. Um, and after a year, I realized that I want to be more think-on-your-feet, fast-moving environment. And I ended up at Zenefits as one of the first 100 employees there. Over with you. Started there as an SDR, went through the ranks, you know, inbound, outbound, went up to be an SMBA, and then a mid-market AE. And after a little bit of time, I actually got presented with the opportunity to manage one of our SMB teams there as we were scaling incredibly quickly. So understanding that that is the natural path to take in sales, I jumped on the opportunity. And I loved it while I was doing it. But to be totally honest, at that time, I just wasn't done selling. You know, I was 25. It was still early in my career. And I wanted to get to a point where I really sold until I got the selling out of me. I loved the, the IC world. I loved you know, doing anything I could to be on top of that dashboard. So after a little bit of time, I went back into um, being an IC at Zenefits as an enterprise AE. And then after Zenefits, went to my next startup at Rainforest QA as an AE there. After about a year, I got promoted to manage the team at Rainforest directly that I was on. Um, was there for about a year. And at that time, I was kind of going through a little bit of an internal struggle, right? Understanding that there's really two paths that you could take in sales. You could go, you know, the IC route and become that really badass strategic field rep that manages your small book of business, takes them out to the golf course, closes million dollar deals. And then the other path you could take is going down the leadership route, right? Manager, director, VP, CRO, and so on. So at that time, I was really at an internal struggle. Um, I felt like I still didn't have the selling out of me. Um, I got presented with an opportunity with my good friend, Sam Blonde, to go take one of the first enterprise roles at Brex and really be the lead from within and help build that and build the go-to-market strategy at Brex from an enterprise perspective. After a little bit of time there, I got presented with an opportunity at Splunk, actually, to go to that true, true strategic role. So for me, that was where I was like, okay, this is my opportunity to really see, is this what I like? Is this what I enjoy? Manage that small book of business, those really big F100 clients, those million-dollar deals. But what I realized really quickly at Splunk actually is that just wasn't the right fit for me. Um, what I've learned is that you know different personalities have a better fit for different types of roles and different types of companies. And while there are incredible talent at those bigger companies in those strategic roles, for me, I love the fast-paced, dynamic nature of a startup. I love thinking on your toes. I love problem-solving day in and day out, really being agile, strategic, creative. So I got presented to with an opportunity to go to Modern Health and be the first enterprise sales manager there. So Modern Health is where I'm at currently. I've been there for about a year and a half now. Uh, last year, I led our enterprise team. And this year, I got promoted to actually lead the enterprise and mid-market segments, which consists of four teams, two mid-market teams, two enterprise teams. And really to like round it out, 
you know, my experience at Splunk, while very short, you know, four or five months was so valuable to me because that really hit the nail in the coffin for me of like that strategic AE route is not the right fit for me. I feel like leadership is my calling. Um, and without that experience, I don't think I would have known a hundred percent. So I'm so fortunate for that experience. And now being in modern health, trying to uh, provide mental health benefits, um, to every individual across the world and, um, help scale us to the next level. So yeah, that's my story. Dude, what a story, man. I mean, listen, we could probably end the podcast at this point right now. And like your experience is, is amazing. And and I think, Ryan, what, what always impressed me is that you've always been true to yourself, right? From IC to manager to, you know, a couple of different companies. How do you keep yourself in check to know that, you know, I'm doing the right thing because I, I want to be happy. I want to be performing at my best always, which is obviously like who you are. You're always at the top of the leaderboard. But tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, it's a good question, Javi. I mean, obviously, everybody's motivated by something differently. And everyone's motivated by money, not a question about it. But what I realized is that when you're taking jobs just for, you know, the OT and what's on that offer letter, that really doesn't get under the hood of like, what's your day going to be like? What's your work-life balance going to be like? How are you actually going to be internally happy with yourself? And how is that going to translate to your personal life? So what I learned through my experience is like, really just focus on yourself, like understand what role fulfills you the most, like what makes you the happiest day in and day out, because the happier you are and the better that you feel about yourself, the better you're going to perform and the better that your team around you is going to perform with you. So kind of taking that mindset of like, what really fulfills me internally and what's going to allow me to provide the most value and most benefit, right? Like, I feel like I've gone through, we've gone through it together, you know, the ride and the journey at Zenefits and the other, you know, hyper growth startups that we've been at, you learn a lot that is incredibly valuable that you don't really learn without going through it. So how can I take my knowledge and my experience and be able to breed that to others to help others get to that next level as well? No, that's amazing, man. I, I, I listen again. Uh, just wow. There's one thing that that you've experienced that I want to double click on, just because it's something that a lot of people sort of think about when they're going through your sales career, right? So it, it's really going from the individual contributor world to being a manager. There are two different roles with two very different requirements. Talk to us about that. Like, how was that transition for you from from becoming someone that owns your destiny to now influencing other people to perform? Yeah, hundred percent. It's a great question. And I, I kind of already mentioned, I think number one is like, really make sure that you're ready for that role and make sure you're done selling because it is a very different role, right? Like all of us are, when we're in sales, we're competitive beings. We want to be on the top of that dashboard. We're going to do everything we can day in and day out to be there. But when you move into management, yes, you have your own number, but you're not in full control over your number. You have reps beneath you that you need to enable, that you need to trust, you need to rely on to get you there. So first and foremost, I'd say is like really make sure that internally you're done being in that IC role and you're ready and excited to take that next step because the mindset really switches from caring about just yourself to really prioritizing your team and making sure that you put your team before yourself and really come from a place of, I want them to be successful and then being successful is going to make me successful. Listen, what a guy to be successful because I've seen you sell, you and I have done deals together. What I love about you, Ryan, is that you, you really bring the human element to any conversation. And I feel like a lot of people in sales forget about that, right? They're very transactional, very robotic. And it sounds like you apply that to, you know, kind of running a team and, and probably getting close to people without making too many assumptions. Like, Tell us what you think makes you that stellar manager that you are today. What has allowed you to crush, not just as an individual contributor, but in running a team now? Yeah, I think it's a really good point, Avi. And it's actually something that kind of correlates to both questions that you just asked is understanding that every single rep is different, right? Just like when you're an IC, 
every single buyer that you have, every single company that you're working with, every single prospect that you have is different. And the whole art of sales is how can I put myself in their shoes and think not how do I want to sell to them, but if I'm them, how do they want to buy? How do they want to purchase? And how can I mold my sales style and my communication style to them? So really management is the same, but instead of thinking about ICs with your sales cycles, it's with your reps. And you have to understand that every single rep is motivated differently. It's actually something that I learned from our old VP, Jeff Hazard. I'll give him a shout out. Um, is really understanding, like, how are you motivated individually? And once you get an understanding of how that rep is motivated, you could cater your style to that and make sure that's always the North Star. But it's also about just the empathy and the approach, right? If you are in their shoes, how would you want to be led that day? Like, realistically, when a company is doing very well versus when a company is having a couple of tough quarters, you got to alter your style, right? Like, how can you ensure you keep morale up during tough times? Or when times are going well, how can you keep pushing the pedal to the metal without reaching a state of burnout? The idea and the understanding of empathy is so critical in the sales world, both as an IC and a manager. It's kind of just adapting that empathy and that EQ from your prospects and your buyers to your reps and being able to cater your style to them. So you're selling. You mentioned a couple of things that you do externally that you do internally, which is super interesting. You're using the empathy that you use with clients. You're understanding, you know, kind of what the needs and pain that your client has, but you're actually doing it over your team. Is that is that a first statement? It is a fair statement. It, it, it's putting myself in their shoes. I talk about this sometimes where I feel like what I learned from sales, I actually learned from playing poker. Um, I'm a big poker player and the key to poker isn't what cards you have and how you want to bet. It's being able to put yourself in your opponent's shoes and understanding based off their betting patterns, based off their body language, based off what they're doing at what point in that hand, understanding what they would have and being able to play to that. So it's very similar in sales where it doesn't matter, like I said, how you want to sell. It matters how your buyer wants to buy. So as a rep, it's how can I put myself in their shoes? Like if I'm an AE at this time, at that given day, in that given quarter, how would I want to be led? Like what would motivate me the most? What would get me to drive the best results and really catering my style to that? And the crazy thing is like every rep is different. That's also the fun of it, right? Is when, you know, you have a team of seven, eight reps, no one's going to be the same. So being able to cater your style to each rep independently, you know, some need to be more structured, some like to be a lot more loose, some want more proactivity, some want more reactivity. So understanding who that rep is, what really drives them and how can you cater your style to them? I feel like it's so integral to being a successful leader. I love it. I love it. And to your point, obviously, you know, the success of the sales manager or sales leader really lies on the success of the team getting the right team underneath you is obviously something that's critical it's a competitive hiring environment out there right now like everyone's raising there's a lot of money out there and everyone's you know kind of trying to get you know the best aes and there's such great companies out there so my question to you is how do you get the right aes in such a competitive hiring environment as you guys are are, you know kind of thinking about scaling modern health it's tough. I think you hit the nail on the head. Like this is definitely the most competitive hiring environment I've ever seen. And for us looking at modern health, we've hired, I want to say 38 people in our sales org over the last five months. Um, Amazing, and I will give man. shout out modern health. We actually had a hundred percent acceptance rate in 2022 on like 20 of our hires. Wow. Pretty incredible. Yeah. Wow. Um, and so that's a testament to many things, but I think just in the interview process, the biggest thing is just be real with them. Like We've all been in interviews where you've had hiring managers kind of sell you the dream. And then you get into the seat and you're like, wow, this isn't all what I was told. And that's just kind of backlash. 
And I think a big thing is not just being short-sighted, but being able to think long-term and what's going to have the biggest long-term benefit versus the biggest long-term repercussion or downstream impact, right? So I think the biggest thing is be real with them, be transparent with them. Also, same looking at the empathy side, like understand, like what have they really enjoyed about past companies and past teams and past managers? And maybe what have they disliked and how will you guys be a mutual fit there? So I think that that's really important to allowing them to feel heard, like allow them to know that you're not just trying to sell them the dream, but you want to really understand them, get to know them and make sure that this is a good mutual fit. Because as you know, nothing is more costly than attrition, right? So if you bring on the wrong person, they're in seat three to six months, they're either not doing the job well, or they didn't get what they thought they would and they leave. That's way more costly than just passing on that candidate and moving on to until you find the right one. Right. So I think that for me, that's the biggest thing is be real with them, you know, give an understanding to them of like why you joined the company. I like sharing my story of what really got me excited about the company. Um, and obviously anything that you could provide to help give them confidence in the success and the trajectory while still remaining transparent. Right. It's that, it's that fine balance. That's amazing. And, and, and I'm sure you have a particular, let's say, hiring process, but most importantly, as a sales leader, you're hiring criteria to identify, you know, who could be, you know, kind of your top performer within the team or who could you potentially upskill to become that top performer. So tell us a little bit about that. Like what, what's your, your take on, you know, being a top performer or, or bringing in the right talent that, could be at the top of the leaderboard as you were when you were an IC. Yeah, totally. I think, you know, looking at this twofold, first off, like what I look at for reps that we bring on is really two things. Like one is grit and the determination to succeed and the hunger and then coachability. I think coachability is so critical. No matter how successful any of us have been in our career, there's always more to learn. There's always more to grow. And the ability to not just be okay with taking feedback, but applying feedback is so critical to finding a rep that is going to not just be successful day one, but um, onwards. But then looking at on the flip side of not just hiring the right talent, but how do we ensure that we maintain top performers and we continue to train top performers? The two biggest things for me as a leader is looking at culture and best practice sharing. Being in a fast-growing organization, having been in multiple, you know, quote-unquote, hyper-growth organizations in my career, I know for a fact that things that make it really successful is really good culture and team dynamics. And the flip side, negative negativity and bad culture spreads really fast and becomes really contagious. So it's how do we build really, really strong team culture? And then secondly is best practice sharing. Um, this is something I learned really on early on, actually, in my Rainforest days, but is now even more important and integral in this fully remote world is understand that every AE is kind of in their silos, right? We have our team meetings, we have Slack and so on, but everyone's kind of in their silos and people just rinse and repeat every day. We do our disco calls, we do our demo calls, we do our proposal calls, but very few times do reps really take a step back and zoom out and think, you know, what small things can I be tweaking to make a really big difference? Um, So what I started implementing as a manager and I'm now doing at the director level with my managers is what we call like tips and tricks. In every single team meeting, I'll either grab a gong call that I listened to, or maybe I was on live with a rep and heard something that he or she did really well, and bring that to the team meeting and share it and have a discussion about it. And really allow the other AEs to see, you know, what are the top reps doing really well? And on the flip side, let's call out the pitfalls. Let's call out some gaps. Let's call out some misses and brainstorm on how we could get in front of it. So overall, like in terms of just like a scaling org and a scaling company, a scaling team to get your reps to perform the best, I feel like the two most important things really are culture and scaling best practices. By the way, I love the tips and tricks. How often are you doing that? Is this something that you guys do on a weekly basis or how often are you guys talking about these pitfalls and 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 wins? 
uh, every team meeting. So as a manager last year, every team meeting, it was just a standing as a standing agenda item. I would say the first half of the year, because we are more of a cyclical business, the first half of the year was a lot more enablement, best practice sharing. And then the second half of the year is really executing on the deals that we have in play. But now from a director perspective, something that we've actually introduced recently in our organization, in our org meetings is what we call AE pods. So, you know, I have four teams now, as I mentioned, two mid-market, two enterprise. And something that we've learned from experience is how do we make sure that people feel included and inclusive and that we're all one team versus you scale really fast, teams stay disconnected, and it becomes very intrinsically competitive in a bad way. So what we introduced was AE pods. And what we do is we'll pick either one or two reps from each of the four teams and we'll mix and match them. And what we'll do is we'll create a prompt that in these AE pod meetings, it's AEs only, it'll be probably, you know, in our 20 plus person org, it'll be four to five pods of four to five AEs in each of them. And what we'll do is we'll give them a prompt. So this last one we did was what's the biggest wow factor in your demos? Like on your demo calls, what is the biggest story, customer story that you tell, part of the product that you show, maybe question that you ask, whatever it might be, like what gets the biggest wow factor, which is what we call just, you know, the, the biggest win in that demo that's just like, damn, this is awesome. And allow them to share that, allow them to collaborate with it. And we've gotten awesome feedback on it because pretty much what happens is each of the five E's that come in have their own thing that they do all the time, but they learn four more wow factors that are incredibly valuable and integral on these calls. And now they can almost mix and match it all and create this Frankenstein of these best practices that they weren't aware of before. And it makes obviously like these sales meetings super engaging, super value adding, right? Because, you know, a lot of times when you're running a team, you don't want to do like the typical team meeting where you go through what's wrong, you talk about the pipeline and everyone walks out and they feel like, you know, they lost, you know, 30, 40 minutes of their day where they could have been prospecting or selling. So it sounds like, you know, engagement and, and the value add, which is obviously like something that you're doing through the sales process you're doing with your team. And that's also like going back to understanding like how to lead in different situations like everyone knows the number like we hire the right people that are very number driven that are on top of themselves so it's that balance right of you need to be very performance driven you need to drive them towards a number but also have to understand that hammering that in over and over and over could have an inverse effect and that could start to decrease morale and on the flip side why don't we use that time together as an opportunity to enable the team, as a way to get them better, as a way to build them up, as a way to not just drive morale and excitement, but also drive the ability to continue to get better from a skill set perspective. So we definitely have our, our meetings. We call it whiteboarding. Where we'll, we'll jam through, we'll brainstorm all the deals in play. We'll use it as a collaborative environment. But in the team meetings, I've found that it becomes a lot more impactful when you stay away from just like, let's only talk about the numbers and get to a place of more like, let's build personal relationships, let's build community, let's share best practices, and like let's continue to improve on our skill set together. Love it. And one of the things that you mentioned that I wanted to definitely double click on is that you also went from sales manager to sales director. So from managing individual contributors to now managing managers. So how is that transition like? And and are you using the, the same set of tools here? Yeah, it's definitely interesting. It's obviously, it's the first time I've been in a position of managing managers as well. So it's been a lot of learnings for me as well along the way. But it's really kind of taking the same practices and then thinking, okay, how can we not just, you know, as a manager, create the culture and share best practices, but now how can we scale the both? How can we scale the culture? And how can we scale the best practices? So in terms of scaling culture, the A-Pods is something that we do um, that works really well to keep people inclusive. You know, just bringing the vibes to the meetings, always starting these group, these meetings off with um, some jams at the beginning, playing the music at the start of every org meeting that we have. 
and just like being there for your team as much as you can, being as frontline as you can. I think we've seen, you know, as a macro leader, you obviously have to be more strategic. You have to be more data driven. It's less about being on the frontline calls, but also reps and managers appreciate when those macro leaders will get on the front line. Not to call it has again, but I remember when he was walking the sales floor at Zenefits and he picked up the phone and made a cold call for an SDR and booked a meeting as the VP of sales. And I thought there was nothing freaking cooler than that. Um, so how <laughs> can you true. continue to be on the front line for your team while also understanding that your role is a macro leader and you have to be there to spot the gaps from a higher level perspective? And then the scaling best practices, like that's probably the biggest thing now going from, you know, a team of seven last year to a team of about to be 26 AEs shortly is how can we ensure that what the best reps are doing are being spread, not just within the teams, but between the teams. So enabling my managers to understand like we're one org, like we're one org together. We're not four different teams and really getting my managers to build a culture from their side to then be able to bring that to their teams and then within the teams. So I would say it's kind of the same, same, but different of now it's really just about scaling it effectively um, while also ensuring obviously that you keep an eye on the macro trend so you can spot any gaps proactively. Um, and make the correct pivots for your org. Nice. And and by the way, I, I love your your highlight on has on leading by example, because, you know, as a manager, I saw on LinkedIn the other day, people keep talking about like, should managers be cold calling? And it's definitely yes, right? Definitely participating in demos, definitely, you know, kind of being part of like those tough, you know, conversations. It sounds like a, as a director, you're still, you know, kind of using yourself and your skills to, you know, the tough calls or, you know, kind of the leading by example. Is that, that I hear that correctly yeah definitely i would say like you know i'm on the big calls as needed but it's like jam out in, in deal strategy sessions right like so you're talking to somebody on slack hop on a zoom and talk to them about it be there to understand what's going on in that deal be there to be proactive with them instead of it just being you know the second to the last week of the quarter and then you're reactive like what happened with this what happened with that i feel like you garner you garner a lot more respect and also are more effective as a leader when you're really able to understand the trials and the tribulations of what's happening on the ground floor and you're able to be able to then take that and apply it upwards to make the correct you know moves that you need to be successful long term. I love it. I love it. Deal strategy sessions definitely definitely been through a couple of those with you back in the day, and 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 obviously a great learning experiences as well. You're a fantastic sales leader, of course, Bash, and I'm sure there's there's definitely teams that you leverage in your success, not just in like training people, uh, onboarding, but also in in you know making yourself successful. So, tell us a little bit about that briefly. You know, what other teams are you leveraging, especially in a high paced environment, to make sure that in such a demanding role you can keep growing your organization? Yeah, definitely. I would say as of recent, given the growth that we've had, you know, recruiting, 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 um, recruiting. Recruiting is so integral to the success of our team. Like hiring the right people is so important. I'm so proud of the reps and the managers that we have at Modern Health and the team that we brought on. And that's such a major part to the work that the recruiting team has done, especially hitting type timelines. From a sales perspective, like there's no way that we could be successful in our role without a ton of other teams. Obviously, enablement is critical, especially in a hypergrowth environment. How can we continue to get AEs better? How can we take feedback cross-functionally and apply it? Also thinking about our cross-functional partners, you know, we have an incredible customer success team at Modern Health. Um, I don't know if I'm publicly allowed to talk about our retention rate, but it is hands down the highest retention rate I've had of any company that I've worked at. And being able to call that on sales calls, being able to trust and know that when we have a client sign up, that they're going to be treated really well and really have the white glove experience. Um, and they're also there to hop on calls for us, right? Like if we need to talk about how implementation will look like, if we need to give them confidence in what their post-sales process will look like, it's hugely, hugely, hugely integral to our success. 
And then from there, other cross-functional partners, you know, if product and engineering aren't building the tools, we're not going to be successful. If sales ops doesn't set us up for success from a numbers perspective, we won't be successful. So really, obviously, sales is front line, but, you know, we're not going to be successful with our other teams. And I would say each of them plays their part independently, for sure. I like that you say that because, you know, so many sales leaders or even like sales individuals don't leverage, you know, internal teams, like you mentioned product, you mentioned engineering. And one of the things that, for example, I've seen like has a lot of success, especially when I got the benefits, I would sit down with engineering and product just to understand, you know, why are they building what they're building and why the product functions the way it functions, not to feature sell, but really to understand, you know, kind of the value. And then as I would walk back to my seat, I would translate it into my head and say, like, how is this going to make, you know, kind of someone life's better in this case obviously the client or the potential you know kind of buyer for you it's it's so many teams that help you be successful and make your life a lot easier in such a you know kind of demanding role and speaking about engineering and speaking about technology is there anything in your sales stack outside of you mentioned gong uh but that makes you you know kind of successful as a manager i know sort of like the sales stack is is growing and growing and there seems to be like more and more tools coming out of the woodworks every day. But what are those tools that make Ryan Bash a successful manager or director? Yeah, definitely. I would say like Gong can't be understated enough, especially in this remote world. You know, the ability to be able to track deals on Gong and be able to see the communication flow and to be able to see the touches when they're happening, let alone like listen to the calls themselves is so, so critical as a remote leader to be able to really understand under the hood what's going on with those deals. So I can't give a big enough shout out to Gong. Also recently, we brought on Cabal over at Modern Health, uh, which has been really cool. Cabal allows us to understand which of our investors and advisors are connected to contacts that are opportunities and accounts within Salesforce, and then helps facilitate and automate introductions. Um, we've actually gone a pretty a decent number of good opportunities that have come from leveraging Cabal. Um, also for mid and end of funnel, you know, if we have an investor that's connected to a C-suite at a company where we're in the decision-making process, that's huge. Just for them to drop a line and say, hey, I know this company, I put my stamp of approval on it, let me know if I can answer any questions, um, hugely important. So I would say in terms of the tools that I use, Gong, Cabal, um, obviously Salesforce have my dashboards from within there, but really Gong's kind of taken over in terms of giving me full visibility into the day-to-day of the deals and the teams. Um, and then, you know, the reps will use the, you know, the outreaches, the zoom infos of the world. But I would say those three are probably the main tools that I use. Nice. And I, by the way, I'm glad you mentioned Cabal because I'm a huge fan and I think it's going to be something that is going to make sales so much better. It's, it's sort of like the new top of the funnel tool that that'll let you get warm intros rather than, you know, having to kill yourself through outreach, et cetera, et cetera. So Love the tool. Shout out to them as well. Uh, great friends, great uh, former colleagues of us from from Zenefits as well. But what advice to wrap up, Bash, do you have for you know up and coming sales leaders that are either an individual contributor or is thinking about making the step, or even a sales manager that wants to continue learning and growing into you know kind of director, potentially VP in the future? Yeah, it's a great question. I would say really just be uncomfortable with the uncomfortable. Right. Like I think a lot of first time sales leaders are trying to figure out everything about it. Like what's going to be easy? What's going to be hard? What do I need to prepare for? What book should I read? Which is all great. But the reality is it's a completely new world than being an IC. And just know that you're not going to have all the answers off the bat and really just trust that what's gotten you to that place will allow you to continue to excel. And don't be afraid to fail. Like I'm a very, very, very big believer that failures aren't failures as long as you learn from it and turn it into a success in the future. So the reality is, is as a first-time manager, you're not going to do everything right right away, but you're going to learn from your failures and that's going to make you better in the future. So yeah, I would say just 
be uncomfortable with the uncomfortable. And also think about kind of like we talked about earlier is think about what helped you as an IC, like what made you really successful as a sales rep and help breed that to your team. Like anytime you get promoted to be a leader from within all the reps look up to you as someone that was a top AE there. And they want to learn from you. Like, what did you do well? What didn't you do well? What helped you be as successful as you were and help breed that to the team? Can't stress enough how important the best practice sharing is. So yeah, I'd probably end it at that. Bash, I can't thank you enough for being so generous with your time and, and sharing all the whiz, you know, kind of in sales and the amazing experience that you've had, man, because, you know, it's, it's been unique. It's been high paced. You have a lot of great experiences under your belt while working for amazing leaders, amazing companies. So I hope that everyone's in the audience is enjoying this as much as I have because it's been amazing. And again, want to thank you for your time and Definitely stay in touch with Bash through the social channels for anyone that that's interested in seeing what he's up to. That's it for us today. Thank you everyone for for listening. This is episode eight on sales leadership, and I hope that you know those sales leaders that are trying to crush it have a handful of different things to grab from this episode. So that's it for us today, Ryan. Thanks again, and I hope you guys come back to listen to a lot more from 100% to Quota. Have a good one. Appreciate you, Javi. Thanks for having me. I hope you enjoyed it. As always, we look forward to continuing to give you the best resources and the best tools to get to 100% to quota. The top of the leaderboard is waiting for you. See you next time. Three, two.